Sydney goes into lockdown, what will be the immediate market response? And last week, a week recovering from the FOMC meeting. Now markets are back to thinking inflation is going to be transitory and central banks won't react in a hurry. Are they right on that? I mean, inflation indicators seem high, but we don't have full employment. And are we sure spending will pick up markedly without continuing government stimulus? And we don't know what happens next with the virus. There are so many known unknowns. It's Wednesday, the 28th of June, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the most movement at the end of the week was in bonds and equities. Ten-year Treasury yields up three basis points to 1.52%. Actually, they were almost up to 1.55% middle of the session on Friday, the highest of the week. And yields climbing in Europe too, up five basis points in France, four in the UK, three in Germany, mainly just uh, picking up on the drop in yields from the day before. Meanwhile, the Dow was up 0.7% on Friday. That's 3.4% up over the week. But that was really just recovering from the dummy spit again from the FOMC the week before and the Nasdaq was actually down a little on Friday so was the Eurostoxx 50 but the S&P 500 up a third of 1% taking it to another new high and the US dollar finished uh, down ever so slightly on Friday over the week though the DXY was 0.4% down the Aussie dollar up marginally on Friday but close to 1.5% over the week it finished uh, close to 76 US cents on Friday not a great uh, day for the pound on Friday it lost a third of 1% uh, they also lost a health minister which was uh, very careless of them uh, up just just half a percent on the week. The euro just a tad more up over the week, but uh, not much movement on Friday. And oil still pushing upwards. Brent up 3.6% last week to 76.18, the highest it's been since October 2018. And we start the week with Ray Atrell, head of FX strategy at NAB in Sydney. Uh, a lot of people working from home, of course, today. Ray, maybe we should start talking about that first. I mean, what do you think is going to be the market response, if there is any, uh, to, to this news that Sydney is going to be in a two-week lockdown at least um, morning phil yes well certainly i think that's going to be you know the local focus is going to be the economic fallout of this and you know i'd, I'd you know, have to say you know, living in sydney i wouldn't be particularly confident that two weeks is going to be as long as or, or as bad as it gets in terms of lockdown obviously we're dealing with the delta strain and it's pretty obvious from the statistics that um you know the r whatever you want to call it on this is is higher than the original strains and, and therefore the confidence that that two weeks will be enough to bring things under control and obviously We've got uh, we've got Darwin under a, a short term lockdown, and um, you know outbreaks in other in other states as well. So the, the Aussie dollar, for example, has opened the week a little bit weaker, only about a tenth of a percent. But um, you know I think that is probably a knee jerk response to uh, to the weekend news. So um, so yes, I think it will be um, it, it certainly will be a focus, and then there will be some economic fallout for sure. And it's going to keep the RBA quiet as well because uh, we're not going to hear from them now until the next meeting. That's right. So um, uh, Phil Lowe, uh, Dr. Phil. Low, the RBA governor was due to give a speech on Wednesday and uh, some expectation that he might give uh, a heavy-handed hint about what lies ahead at the, Ju- at the June, sorry, July 6th RBA meeting when, remember, the, um, the RBA has said it will pontificate on the future of the three-year YCC target and also, um, you know, what will replace the current QE2 uh, bond buying program when it expires at the end of September. Mm. So we're not going to learn anything there now until next week. Until the meeting itself. So uh, how much of last week do you think really was just the markets getting back to where they were after that rather extreme reaction to a, to a fairly hawkish FOMC meeting the week before? Yeah, I th- by and large, I think it, it is um, an overreaction in the sense that it was pretty clear that, that, that market positioning um, and, and related lack of liquidity when everybody's the same way around in a market a 
and everybody's rushing for the same exit. It's amazing how small that door is. And I think that was the lesson of the week before last. Um, mm. You know, that said, you know, markets clearly, you know, were put on, you know, notice, if you like, that, um, you know, potentially rates will be going up earlier than they had uh, perhaps been led to believe or think previously. So there is a genuine, um, you know, shift of thinking. Um, but arguably, that's sort of yeah. that's better reflected in where we are now. That uh, U.S. yield curve has uh, sort of recovered about sort of almost half of, of the extreme flattening that we saw the week before. Um, you know, U.S. dollar has lost about what 0.8 percent, and um, you know, and equities look far less uh, less troubled um, by the uh, the signaling yeah. the Fed than they seemed at the time, at least. So another record high for the S and P on Friday on a closing basis, and, and a pretty good week overall. And banks doing particularly well, uh, mainly because they passed the Fed's stress test. So, uh, so why is that significant? Well, it, it's significant in the context of if you don't pass the stress tests, you can't give uh, money back to shareholders. So the fact that all 28 of the so-called uh, large US banks were said to have comfortably passed the stress test, and that news came out after the New York market closed on Thursday, remember. So Friday was the first opportunity markets had to respond to that. Um, and the implication is that uh, we can probably expect to see banks announcing various uh, share buybacks um, or you know, plans for high dividends going forward, for example, yeah. which they wouldn't have been allowed to do if there were any um, you know, issues relating to the stress test. So that's why everyone was diving into banking stocks. It's also, of course, the markets were helped along by the fact that it looked like the, uh, the infrastructure plan, Biden's infrastructure plan was going to get the go ahead. It was going to get full agreement. So presumably you're going to see some of that retraced today because over the weekend, Joe Biden is saying, well, no, it wasn't his intent that it would go ahead on its own without the family's plan. That's right. So, um, you know, and I was reading the Financial Times yesterday and they're describing some of the words that came out of uh, President Biden's mouth as representing a dramatic U-turn. So if you remember, um, you know, when we when he announced sort of a handshake deal, if you like, on this plan, um, he was quite explicit that, um, you know, it, it, it was conditional on um, the Democrats passing the American Families Plan and that he wouldn't effectively implying that he wouldn't sign off the infrastructure deal um, unless he also had the Families Plan to sign off, which he was only expecting to do, you know, with the sort of 50, 51 to 50 support he can muster in the Senate with uh, with the help of VP Harris. And now he's, you know, I think, um, obviously, the Republicans have smelt a rat and saying, well, if we vote for the infrastructure plan, aren't we also voting implicitly for the families plan to which we are um, strongly opposed, given that uh, this is where the rise in the corporate tax rate and rises in income tax rates for high income earners will fall. So, you know, to my mind, this this puts the whole, you know, the idea of the infrastructure package, but there's a question mark over it at least anyway. So some of the optimism that I think uh, was reflected in stronger equities towards the end of last week, um, mm. you know, might be subject to a little bit of a stress test itself this morning. And I guess the importance of this is it really depends on your view of how important more government stimulus is to get, keep the economy uh, on the road to recovery. Uh, so we saw, for example, personal income down to percent in the US in May and spending also down as uh, as stimulus starts to be uh, drawn back. Uh, so that's one of the known unknowns I was talking about in the introduction, isn't it? We, we don't know how quickly the economy is going to recover and how much stimulus it's going to need. Right. Well, I think there's still a lot of um, there's a lot of momentum just from economic reopening. And let's remember, monetary policy is still extremely stimulatory. But um, yes, but the message from those uh, personal income and personal spending numbers that we got on Friday um, is really sort of showing the, sort of the fading impact of the um, the 1.9 
trillion dollar Biden stimulus, including those $1,600 six stimulus checks, most of which were cashed in March and early April. So we're now seeing income and spending. Mm. We're a couple of months on from that and, and incomes are, are flagging a little bit and uh, and spending is also not uh, not quite as robust. But in absolute terms, Q2 GDP is still going to be an absolute stonker, um, you know, potentially in the order of 10%. So um, you know, I think it's premature to be talking about a loss of economic momentum. Um, I think, you know, the key thing is going to be what happens come, you know, September when these, um, you know, the additional pandemic unemployment assistance fully rolls off. Obviously, it's already rolling off for some states. You know, to what extent are people going to jump back into the labour market? And uh, are we then going to start to see, you know, very strong mm. payrolls numbers picking up the slack from, you know, the sort of fading of the impact of stimulus? I think that's going to be the acid test for um, just how robust the economy remains as we head into the second half of the year and into the into year end. Well, the other known unknown, of course, is where inflation is going to go. We had the PCE deflator, which is the Fed's preferred inflation measure. It came in, I think, at uh, 3.4%, didn't it, year on yep. year for May, which uh, was the highest rate for a couple of decades. Uh, and there was no surprise in that. But we had Larry Summers saying on Bloomberg that he thinks it's going to be 5% by the year end. But I mean, I mean, is that really going to go down very much from that in a hurry? Well, he doesn't think it's going to be transitory. So, uh, and, the, and the quote that I've read from him, you know, he was speaking in, in the Middle East overnight or in the last few hours, saying he doesn't see the basis for policymakers' serenity. And that, as you say, he expects 5% uh, inflation at the end of the year. So it's pretty clear that Larry Summers um, is going to die in a ditch for his view that policymakers have got it wrong. There is far too much uh, stimulus impacting the economy and that uh, the inflation that we're seeing is not going to be transitory if policymakers don't react. Again, said at the moment, I'd say that the Fed, the, uh, the man in the hot seat with the button, <laughs> Jay Powell, is going to die in a ditch for his view that inflation by and large is likely to prove transitory. And obviously that question is not going to be resolved for you know another six months or so. So, uh, but where inflation is at the end of the year, you know, if we're, you know, if we've got a three in front of it or, or we're falling, uh, whether we're at 5% and we haven't budged from the levels that we're seeing at the moment, it's obviously going to play into that uh, that transitory debate. But it's, it's months away before we can make that determination. I think that's the that's the important point. Well, it's still going to be talked about, isn't it, right up to that point. So we had Eric Rosengren from uh, the, the Boston Fed, you know, pretty much saying the same, the same thing that Larry Summers was saying, that, you know, that uh, if employment picks up and we get full employment, possibly by the end of the year, which he said is possible, uh, then, you know, inflation might not go down. And then rates would have to go up next year. So uh, who's right and who's wrong? (laughs) Well, a few few weasel words in that that statement, isn't it? To say it's verbatim, if, when, what, possibly. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's it, isn't it? But it it does show the importance of those employment numbers, doesn't it? Well, it highlights, yes, absolutely. It highlights the data dependency, obviously, of of, of policy actions, as as it it should be. And then the question is that, uh, you know, if it is going to be, Actual data and the lived experience, as RBA Deputy Governor Guy Bell described it a few weeks ago, then there's still that risk that policymakers will almost by definition be behind the curve when they do come to uh, to raise rates. But uh, yes, as you're just hinting there, non-farm payrolls on Friday, um, clearly going to be standing head and shoulders, I think, about uh, every other um, economic or other event this week. And mm-hmm. um, market consensus at the moment I've seen is around 700,000. Um, but things like home base, which is payroll systems used particularly by small businesses is suggesting we could get a number well north of 1 million so there's going to be a, a huge spread of of expectations and massive surprise potential on friday so i think that is going to leave markets probably you know uh, 
trading pretty cautiously, I think, towards the back end of the week, but uh, a few things yeah. to happen before then. Yeah, well, there's not much, is there, uh, today, that's for sure, unless you're interested in uh, Norwegian retail sales or consumer confidence in Finland or Brazilian tax revenues. It's a pretty quiet day, although Andy Haldane from the Bank of England is giving a speech later on, but we, we sort of know his views, so he's going to be saying inflation is coming and start the monetary tightening now, isn't it? Uh, but it would, almost certainly he's going to be saying that. Look, just one other inflation number before we go. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index for June, their inflation expectations for five to ten years is it? 2.8 percent now um that, i'm just wondering when we see numbers like that i mean we weren't looking at anything anywhere close to that on our way into the pandemic were we no so i mean clearly inflation expectations have picked up and that's one of the sort of you know that's what feeds into the debate about um you know the conditions for lifting rates because the whole concept of sustain inflation sort of sustainably above two percent is in the view of most central bankers heavily contingent on inflation expectations being anchored you know at, at, at least two percent and arguably you can say well the job's been done there um all i'd caution you know it, it is to say that inflation expectations can be a fairly fickle beast they tend to go up when actual inflation goes up and they'll go down when actual mm. inflation goes down so if we do you know see evidence that the the rise in headline inflation and core inflation is transitory and inflation starts trending down, um, you know, I wouldn't be betting aggressively against inflation expectations also starting to come down. So can we but, just say uh, nobody knows? Because uh, <laughs> on the way, and we were looking at inflation, we were worried about inflation being too low, if anything, on the way into this pandemic. No one, no one really knows, do right. they? No, although I could be to say that the, the, the public shift to an average inflation targeting has gone some way to, to bolstering, um, you know, consumers and investors' confidence that, um, you know, the Fed is really, really means it, that we are not going to be taking action until inflation is, mm. is, is above 2%. So maybe that itself, rather than all of the supply chain disruptions that we talk about ad nausea impacting on inflation now, there is something to be said for the Fed's regime shift. Central banks must be feeling so important right now, mustn't they? Uh, good to talk, Ray. We'll catch you again very soon. Well, thanks, Phil. And that's it for this Monday morning, another edition of The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. Stay safe.